Great to see you here. I agree with um, Kevin. It's an honor to be with you in person. And um, also those online, thank you for joining in online and our host online. Thank you for greeting people and connecting that way. Again, really honored to have you guys with us. Thank you for making it here safely. Some of you slid here, I believe, but you're here and I'm glad to see that. So it's, a, it's just awesome to see you guys this morning. Well, um, we are in part two of a new series we started last week, fully virtual, online called When Love Works. And here's what I want to say about this morning. First of all, I've learned as I have gotten older, a few things. One of the things that I've learned is this. Isn't that neat? That lighting matters. Can you guys see that? Okay. Yep. Am I making some friends out there? Yeah. Lighting matters. Believe it or not, I got this flashlight for Christmas, and it's a little harder to tell in the bright light of the spotlight here, but this baby is kind of bright, and it's multi-purpose, right? It also opens up like that. Uh-huh. Wait for it. Wait for it. Uh-huh. And then? Uh-huh. What you don't know and can't see from where you are, well, now I just broke the thing. All right, that's going to be a problem. All right, we'll turn it off somehow. That's going to be neat. Everything's not working today from our uh, projector now to my flashlight. This thing has a magnet on the back of it, so I can stick this thing. It's really, there it is. I can stick this thing if I'm working on the car, which I never do. If I'm working on the car, I can stick it on the hood. When the hood's up, I can do whatever I want. This thing is pretty amazing. Now, today's Valentine's Day, right? That, I hope that's not new news to some of you guys especially, because that's going to be a problem already if it is. But I just want you to imagine for a minute having a dinner using my flashlight as your primary light. How awesome would that be? Now, you also know this, and hopefully you can see this thing as well. There's room for, oh dear, I'm going to burn my fingers. It's going fast. Gosh. Really bad, really bad. One more time. I should have used a lighter. You guys know those little clicker lighter things? Uh-huh. The problem is ours at home doesn't work that well. Why get a new one when you can burn yourself with a match? There we go. Jeez. Note to self, never do any of this again in my whole life. But candlelight is also an option for a dinner tonight, right? Now, obviously, if you're a thinking adult and if you care about your date this evening, if you have one or whatever, clearly there's an ambiance with candlelight that simply is not in the room with this thing that I dare not turn on anymore, right? We know that. Now, here's what I want to say about that, that the light, the light that you and I choose to use for different environments really, really matters. And it's not just what we play in our environments. It's also, this is what I believe, that our relationships and we, you and I live in our relationships, in a particular light. There is a light that shines in all of our relationships with each other and also with God. So here's a question, two questions I want to ask us today. The first one is this, in what light do I see my relationships primarily? Now you may wonder, what kind of question is that? If you had to choose between a light, I think I can do, just do this, there we go. If I had to choose between this kind of light that shined on my relationships, sorry guys, I'll keep it down, or a, the warmth of a candlelight, the inviting pull up to the table, let your guard down, start talking for real. What kind of light might my relationships primarily be in? A stark, little cold, utilitarian, effective light, or a warmth of the candlelight? Now, the next question is this, and that is, in what light do I think that God sees me? In what light do you think God looks at you? 
Do you think God is a light like this, who's ready to coldly judge you wherever there's a problem in your life, wherever there's a, a failure, that he's shining the light looking for every little failure and flaw that you have? Or is God maybe represented in the candlelight with inviting demeanor, an inviting presence saying, come to my table. I want to see you. I want to hear you. But I want to be your father, your loving heavenly father. And what light do you think God sees you? Because here's what I know about light this, that light heals by revealing truth, but allowing light in requires courage. Light heals by revealing truth. Here's what I mean. I want you to imagine having some small children. You go out to the backyard, there's a little bit of a fracas in the backyard. I don't know if I said that word right. And there's, a, there's one kid who's crying and another kid who has a tennis racket, and the one is like, hey, nothing happened out here. And then the other one is like, he hit me on the head with a tennis racket. What tennis racket, right? Light heals by revealing truth, but allowing light in requires courage. This is why children lie, because they know that if I allow the light in of what actually happened out here, if I actually admit that I did whack my sibling on the head with a tennis racket, I'm going to get in trouble because the light of my behavior will be exposed. This is why adults lie too. Light heals. The only way to healing is to acknowledge what actually happened in the room. But it takes courage to actually allow that light to come in, especially, especially if you think it's this kind of light. See, when a kid is going to confess to their problem and their failure, the only way to really have their heart softened is to pull up to this kind of light and to recognize that what a parent wants in a child is not to shine a bright spotlight of judgment on them, but to bring their actions into the warm light, to sit with the table and say, you're my child, I love you. This wasn't right, but there is freedom and healing in this space. And so God as light of the world, God can heal us, but we also need courage to allow the light in. And this is what I want to talk about this morning because... This is what the passage of Scripture that we are going to be in really is all about, that God presents himself as the light of the world, but light matters, and the kind of light we think about matters. Some of us, by default, because of how we've been raised, we tend to think of God as this bright spotlight or almost floodlight thing. But what if God could be thought of differently and the light that he brings might be conceived of differently? Because God is the light of the world and his light can heal but for each of us, it takes courage to let that light in. So I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 John. It's a little letter that one of the disciples of Jesus wrote within the first several years after Jesus um, ascended again to, to heaven. 1 John chapter 1 is where we're going to be in. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. You can find it in the YouVersion app on your phone or your tablet. Or if you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew. That's our gift to you online at home. Feel free to use what's most helpful there for you. But we're going to be in 1 John, small little book, small little letter, in the right two-thirds of your Bible. 1 John chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. We're going to go through the second verse of chapter 2. But 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. And here's what we read. John is writing, he says, this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. I love that. And we're going to go kind of verse by verse here. 
In him, this is the message, excuse me, we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light. This is an allusion to, to creation. John is taking us back to the very creation of the world to say that God in the middle of all that was dark, in the middle of nothing, Christians believe that God created out of nothing, just out of a dark expanse God created and he was brought about light in that space, that God is light. He is light. He is the one who brings truth. He is the one who brings healing. He is the one who declares what's right and wrong. God brings clarity. He brings light to the darkness. And in him, there's no darkness at all. Now, you might assume that, but I just want you to think about this for a minute. Imagine if there was some darkness in God. Wouldn't that be terrible? Wouldn't that just be terrible? If God couldn't fully be trusted... But John makes it clear, in him, he is the source of light, and all that is God can be trusted. And then verse 6, he goes right on, and he introduces us to the first if statement that he has. He actually has six of these, but look at the beginning of verse 6. He says, if we claim, let's not read the rest of that verse yet. Go with me to verse 7, 8, 9, and 10. Verse 6 says, if we claim. Verse 7 says, if we walk. Verse 8 says, if we claim. Verse 9 says, if we confess. Verse 10 says, if we claim that over and over in this section, John is saying, hey, if, then this will happen. 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 And he starts in verse 6. He's saying, if we claim, like if I'm going to say with my life, my words, that I have to have fellowship with him, if we have claimed to have fellowship with him, and yet, he says, verse 6, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Well, that's neat, isn't it? If we claim that I have fellowship with God, and, and last week online at least, I talked about fellowship being this idea of partnership, that I have partnership with you, that maybe you have partnership with me, and that John is saying this fellowship word is saying, I have partnership with God. So he's saying, if I'm going to claim, I'm going to walk around this planet, and I'm going to say, I'm with God, like his interests are mine, I'm, I'm with him, the things that matter to him matter to me, I am going to claim the name of God. Christ, I'm going to claim that I'm a follower of God. If I claim that, if I claim to have fellowship in that sense with him, and yet walk in the darkness, he's, he's just saying we lie and, and don't live out the truth. See his words there? He doesn't say it's not that we speak the truth, and this is an important shift that John makes. He's saying we don't live out the truth. That's very important. It's not that truth is just spoken as if I'm speaking here this morning. That's one half hour out of your life for the week. John recognizes the truth isn't just spoken. The truth is lived. The truth is lived in its experience. It's experienced in the relationships that you have. It's when people see me and see you and they wonder, oh, you're the one who claims to follow God. But I see this darkness in your life and you're not wrestling with that. You're not dealing with that. And so I'm not sure that I trust your God because God is light, right? But you claim you're a partner of his, but you're walking in darkness. And so he says, we, we lie and, and don't live out the truth. Verse 7. And if, but if we walk in the light, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So this is, this is a really beautiful idea that John develops. Because in verse 6, he's saying, if we claim to have fellowship with God, and walk in the darkness, we lie. But then he says in verse 7, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. See what he says there? It's all of a sudden in verse 6, it's about fellowship with God. But what he's saying is if you want to walk in the light, I would think that because verse 7 contrasts verse 6, that verse 7 should say that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with God. 
But he doesn't say we have fellowship with God. He says we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus is unpurified from all sin. Do you see the distinction? Verse 6 is about fellowship with God. Verse 7 is about fellowship with one another. John immediately makes the switch because in his mind there's almost no distinction between if you have fellowship with God, it's got to walk out so that you have fellowship with one another. This is so powerful. This is such a powerful idea. that he's saying, again, if you have fellowship with God, you need to live out the truth, which is lived out in relationship with one another. It's just this one another concept. And then verse 7 if we walk in the light, and then as he is in the light, then the result is not just fellowship with God, but fellowship with you, and you have fellowship with me. A powerful, powerful idea. I owe you honesty, right? Like, I owe you a good relationship. I owe you integrity. And as Christians, this is what we owe to one another, that we are walking in the light. It's such a, a great concept that John draws out for us that our relationship with God immediately impacts the truth of the relationships that we share with each other. But he introduces a hard word at the end of this verse, doesn't he? I don't want to just blow over it. He says, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now, I don't know about you, but rarely in the week do I use the S word, not that S word, this S word. Like, rarely are we even talking with one another and saying, man, I, I uh, need to confess to my wife that I, I sinned against you. I mean, it's a strong word. When's the last time you've confessed, man, I've, I've sinned against you. You're talking to your children and saying when you failed, in which I know many of you have those great conversations with your kids, you know, I, I just don't want you to know dad has sinned against you. Like, I mean, I'll say I've made mistakes. I'll say I make, you know, should have done something different. I could have made better decisions, but come on. Sin a strong word. He just drops it here as if it's an assumed reality. He says, God, the, the, the blood of Jesus unpurifies us from all sin. And it's almost as if I think John knows that there's going to be a question in the room. As if someone in the back of the room is going to raise their hand and say, wait a minute, can we talk about this? Because I'm not convinced that I really have the kind of sin that matters to God. Like, I know there's some people who do things and whose hearts are turned in a way that mine isn't. So I'm not sure, I mean, I hear you that Jesus does that at a maybe a platonic or philosophic level, that Jesus heals us from sin, that's great. But me, <laughs> to call my activities in the day and in the week sin, that's a big word to drop into a relationship a big word to drop into our culture. And it's almost as if John knows that, and so he does another if we in verse 8. He says, so just to be clear, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I love that. If we, if you decide, if you in your own heart say, wait, I, I don't have that kind of sin that really needs help, then we deceive ourselves, and the truth is just not here. It's not not in us. And I would say, hmm, that is a powerful idea. So he's saying that there's actually freedom. There's actually freedom in just saying and just admitting both to yourself and to the people who are closest to you. You know what, man? Man, I sin. I don't just make mistakes. I don't just have regrets. I don't just fail. I don't just wish I could make better decisions, but I need to acknowledge for my own health so that I can walk in the light that I sin, and that I am a sinner. <laughs> the truth, he says, isn't in us if we can't do that. It's such a powerful idea. Here's, what I'm, here's the, the struggle with it. If you've grown up in church, been around church for a little while, 
most churches have a culture of high ethical standards, right? You feel it without even verbalizing it. We don't have a sign on the door. Uh, let me pick on a low-hanging fruit. We don't have a sign on the door that says, um, don't sleep with people before you get married. But most everybody that I know of, and probably that you know of, would just be able to say that's a high ethical standard that people in the church probably have. But you don't walk into the door and see that on our front door, do you? But yet there's, it's known that the church has a higher degree of moral or ethical standards. That's just one example. So the problem that can be presented in the church in a group of people who have shared and unspoken high ethical standards and people who want to deeply honor God is that we can together agree that we might be more pious saints than actually sinners. We might just need tidied up on the corners of our life, but we might not need the deep dive of the light of God deep in our soul. And we can get confused about our real identity. And here's the beauty of what John is saying here, and it's a, it's a powerful idea that has shaped me, and it's this, that love works. Love works when we find confessional community with other sinners, not superficial camaraderie with pious saints. But love works when I look around here in this space online, the people who I know who have said I'm a follower of Jesus, particularly people who are related to GPC and said I want to follow Christ, that this community of relationship that I have with you will develop into a confessional community where I can admit to you and you can admit to me. Confession is simply that, acknowledging I am not just a mistaker, but I'm a sinner, that I look at you and you look at me, you're a sinner, and my name's Tim, nice to meet you. And you can look at me and say, listen, I'm a sinner, my name's whatever, it's nice to meet you. Rather than superficial camaraderie with pious saints, and that's my fear for the church, it always is, that the church is a gathering of pious saints who just, don't, just need a small touch of God, but not need a deep dive of the light of God into our souls to really save us. Superficial camaraderie doesn't work in adversity. When things get hard, if the only thing that binds us together is that we like to go fishing on the weekends, it's over. If the only thing that binds us is our hobbies of, of biking or we enjoy a sports team or we enjoy reading or singing together, man, it's over. That superficial camaraderie isn't deep enough to hold people together in a confessional community that says the light of God is coming deep in and he sees me and it is a beautiful gift of freedom to acknowledge I'm a sinner. And so are you. And that's not a judgment call looking for sinners out there. That's an invitation of the light of God to pull up to the table, to have a warm, candlelit dinner with him. And say, welcome to the table of freedom. Let the light heal you deep within. Because what, isn't, what we can't be honest with can't be healed. He goes on to say, Verse 9, if we confess our sins, here's where we get this confessional idea. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's a beautiful verse. It's a beautiful verse. That if we acknowledge, and confession is simply that, it's simply saying, and I acknowledge it. And let me just be clear in this space, we might read verse 9 as if confession is only me to God. Just me and God, 
you guys hang out a minute. I'm going to go talk to God. I'm going to confess, and then I'm going to come back to you, and we're good. Throughout the scriptures, confessional, confession is both vertical and horizontal. That is the context of John's writing right here. He's saying if you have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, then you mess up your relationships with each other. But if you walk in the light, then your relationships with each other are healed. That's verse 7. And so this confession is in the context of both confessing to God and walking in truth with each other, which means there is a confessional nature that I must confess to you in right ways, in right relationships, but that there must be in the community of faith, a confessional nature of the community, not just I'm going to go talk to God for a little bit and you ain't never going to know what's going on deep inside of me. Just the nature of confession. Now, verse 10, if we claim we haven't sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. He just, he's hammering away and underscoring this idea. And then he goes into verse 1 of chapter 2 and, and John writes, and this, as you read this, I want you to to feel the, the words here. He says, my dear children. That's candlelight again. Okay, My dear children. He's not yelling at these people. He's not yelling at you. He's not yelling at me. He's not angry. He's saying, my dear children, come to the table. Come to the light of God. I, I write this to you so that you, you won't sin, so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see the role that Jesus plays? Two roles. He's saying, my friends, I want you to know, I don't want anybody to sin. I don't want anybody to sin. But the truth is, we're all going to fail. And so when we do, and when we sin, when we blow it, we have Jesus, who is an advocate, who's going to fight for us, who's on our side, who's not on the side of judgment and anger, but is on our side when we're in that failure, and then, and then, he also is the atonement for our sin. Now, here's what that means. Again, such a powerful idea. That when Jesus is the atonement, it means that he has, in a way, paid the price. He's made it right. He's reconciled. He has worked out the issue. And it is now right before God. So, here's what that means. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Meaning, there are not multiple atoning sacrifices. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice, meaning there are not multiple options. Here's what that means. When I sin, what I want to do is atone for my own sin. I want to instinct. I want to hide from it. Can anybody relate? I want to hide from the shadows of my life. I want to hide the things that don't make me look good. I want to perform my way out of my failures. When I blow it with my family, I want to then overcompensate and show them, hey, I was short with you here, but now let me serve you here. I'll quickly do the dishes and do the chores and do. You tell me what I need to do so I can atone for the failures of my life. I'm going to quickly try to perform. I'm going to quickly try to manage my sin so that it doesn't get out of control. I will do multiple things to try to atone for my own sin on a regular basis. And I know that we have relationships like that right now. We wrestle with this all of the time. We look at ourselves in the mirror and see the failures immediately. We see the shadows in our own life, and we try to atone for it. 
whether that's getting prettied up in the mirror, whether that's working out and getting rid of some of those extra pounds that we don't want, whether that's going to school and covering our failures, whether that's working harder at our hobby or our goals, or whether that's separating from a relationship and moving on because we don't want to deal with it anymore, whether that's being judgmental of someone who's been hurtful to us in the past, whatever we need to do, we often try multiple avenues to atone for the sin and the failures of our past. And here's the beauty of the warmth of the light of God. John just says, there's a candle at dinner for you. God the Father has sent his son to advocate for you while you're in your worst condition. And here's the better news. He is the singular atoning sacrifice for your sins. There are not multiple ways to make your sin right. Confession to God Belief in Christ and walking in that truth in community is what the light of God invites us to. Which leads me to these questions. The questions I began with, and that is this. In what light do I see my relationships? In what light do you see your relationships? Like my flashlight light or my candlelight light? Let me clarify that a little bit more. Let me ask this question. Do I have relationships with other sinners of a confessional nature? As you think through, you just scroll through in your head of the people that you know, the people that you lean on and can depend on. Would you say that you have people that you know and work with and engage with and you can talk with? And you would qualify, you'd say, this is a relationship with someone that I have, and this is of a confessional nature. I am free to pull up to the table with them. And I may not use the word, I need to confess my sin to you, but I may use words like, I'm, I'm struggling here, I'm failing here, I can't figure this out, I'm hiding this, I'm afraid of this. That the, the deep parts of our heart are exposed to loving friends in community with each other. Second question I asked at the beginning is this, in what light do I think God sees me? In what light do you think God sees you? Let me clarify this a little bit further. Do I see him drawing me by candlelight or exposing me by a floodlight? Because if you see God primarily this way, as a God who can't wait to find all of your secret sins and failures, a God on high who's a little bit distant, he's pure, he's righteous, he's holy, he's separate, and those are all true, true things. But he's also a light of the world that loved you and me so much that he sent Jesus at this act of love to draw us with this warmth to himself. And I love, I've, you heard me say it before in Romans 4, I love that verse. That is, that do not forget, do not make light of this. That it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not the judgment of God. It's the kindness of God that draws us. Now, let me ask this question too. I'm asking a lot of questions. I'm about to wrap it up here. What's at stake if I do nothing? All right, so you've been sitting here for a little while. I appreciate you doing that. What's at stake if I do nothing? I've come, I've listened, I've conquered. I didn't see the guy burning his, you know, place down with candles, although it was close. What's at stake if life just goes on like normal right after this? What's at stake if I do nothing? I mean, I made it through this time. It was kind of fun. What's at stake? And I would just say two things, and here's why this matters to me, and here's why I hope that you will take more than just a moment just to pass by this. Here's what's at stake for me. Number one is I don't want for you, and I don't think you want for you, superficial relationships. I don't want a community based on camaraderie around superficial stuff. That's what I think is at stake. Secondly, I don't want you to work for your relationship with God. 
I don't want to have a works-based relationship with a father who is looking around with the spotlight in all the places where you have failed along the way. But I want you to see and feel the warm glow and invitation of the heart of a loving Heavenly Father who draws you to Him, not because He can't wait to hammer you with your sin, but because He knows and you know that the greatest freedom will come from the truth of letting the light heal you and having the courage to allow it to come in, which is where I'm going to end, and that is this. As the light of the world, God can heal us, but we also need, you also need, and I need the courage to let the light in. So, where are your relationships, and how do you see your relationship with God and his relationship with you? John reminds us he is the light of the world. Jesus Christ is on your side. He's an advocate. And he is the atoning sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice for your sin and for mine. So I want to encourage you, take a moment today and consider these questions. What's at stake if you do nothing? How are your relationships and how do you see your relationship with your loving Heavenly Father? Next week, I look forward to the next part of this series where John introduces us to God, not just as the light, but as love, and the implications of that in our community. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to be together this morning and stop and consider the impact of the light of the world on us. And I pray for us that you'd give us courage. This is hard to let light in because it exposes what we want to keep hidden. It exposes the shadows. It's painful. It's hard to have the courage to do this because it makes us vulnerable, and nobody loves vulnerability, even in the most intimate of relationships. But goodness, I pray that you would give us the freedom and the delight and the healing that comes from truth, even if it will hurt. And I know this morning some have deeper places to go than others, but I pray that you would not let us walk away from this without allowing the light God in. So for those of us who need to know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, give us the courage to have that next conversation with the person who brought us here this morning, with myself or with any of our pastors. But I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would draw us with a warm candlelight of your love. We can pull up to the table to know the truth and let the truth set us free free to love one another. In Jesus' name we pray.